It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, like, because when I shot, I expected to make it. So, like, I don't shoot kind of miss. You are Locked On Raptors, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Canada, the NBA title is yours. We're going to the first of the Hail Mary 3 by Mo Get that garbage out of here. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to episode number 976 of Lockdown Raptors for, uh, I'm recording this Tuesday. I'm pretty sure this is going up on Thursday, or it might be Friday. I have no idea. I'm your host, Sean Woodley of RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me on Twitter, as always, at WoodleySean. You can find the show at Locked on Raptors, where you can find links to every single episode of the podcast. And of course, please make sure to check out the entirety of the Lockdown Podcast Network. we got team-focused shows covering all your faves in the Big Four sports, as well as the NCAA Power Conferences and some mid-major conferences as well. And that is a tease to today's guest. Uh, of course, we continue on our week of diving into the prospects who are in the Raptors range at number four in the NBA draft. If you haven't yet, go back and listen to the episodes from Tuesday and Wednesday with uh, Dakota Schmidt of Ridiculous Upside, where we talked all about Jalen Green and Jonathan Kaminga and their G League stints this season with the G League Ignite. Those are really fun episodes. Highly recommend. Uh, Today, we are diving into Jalen Suggs, who I think if I was putting money on it, feels like the most likely guy to fall to the Raptors at number four. And there's nothing wrong with that because Jalen Suggs projects as a dude who rules. And so joining me today to dive into Jalen Suggs and everything you need to know about potential future Toronto Raptor Jalen Suggs, it is Stephen Carr, who is the host of Locked On Zags, the Gonzaga podcast here at Locked On, uh, has a wonderful uh, substack covering Zags basketball as well. Stephen, how's it going, man? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for being here. Thanks for uh, lending your uh, your knowledge of Zags basketball to me, a person who uh, really just relies on people who know about the players to tell me what to think about them, uh, at least in this early phase. I'll have stronger opinions on who the Raptors should take by season's end or by the month's end, year's end. Who knows how long it is till the draft? Who, who's to say, really? But uh, right now, it's still kind of fact-finding and kind of learning about these guys. And so... Today, we're going to dive into all sorts of things about Jalen Suggs. We'll talk about his season this year, what sort of popped for him in his freshman season at Gonzaga. We're going to talk about the fit with the Raptors and where, uh, why it kind of is a very snug looking fit from the outside, and also talk about strengths, weaknesses, stuff like that. And uh, we'll get out of here. But before we uh, dive on in here, let's just kind of get a look at what the season was for Jalen Suggs. Of course, he was this one of the stars of the tournament. He hit the big half-court buzzer beater, helped lead Gonzaga to the final, or the, the championship game, that is, in the uh, NCAA tournament. And uh, just seems like a pretty 
Raptors type player in a lot of ways. We'll get into that, all, all that stuff in the coming segments here. But Stephen, overall impressions of the sole season for Jalen Suggs at Gonzaga, where he averaged 14.4 points, 5.3 boards, four and a half assists, and really kind of cemented himself as one of the top prospects in this draft. Yeah, and I think some of the stuff that he did off the court too, you know, you get these one and done players, uh, and Gonzaga has had very few. He's the second one that they've ever gotten. But he was really the first one and done that was expected to be a one and done uh, when he came to campus. And a lot of times when you get one and dones at these, you know, blue blood schools, sometimes they're in it for themselves. Um, and then, you know, they're trying to put up as many points as they can to improve their draft stock, yada, yada, yada. Jalen Suggs was not that way. He came to Gonzaga with the goal of winning a national championship. And he was basically doing whatever he could for the team. Um, mm-hmm. And sometimes that meant sacrificing his own personal scoring stats and stuff like that. Um, so he's a very, very unselfish player. He's a very team oriented player, but obviously he's a fantastic basketball player. Um, and his willingness to learn, his willingness to be coached, his willingness to grow as a basketball player is something that Mark Few talked about a ton. Uh, Gonzaga said coach Mark Few talked about a ton. And uh, I, it's, you, I mean, we're probably going to talk about this, but it seems like the Raptors kind of have that same culture where he can fit in and be a really good player that can help a good team and elevate him to a great team, which is what he did at Gonzaga. It was already a foundation set there with a lot of experienced returning players, and he was that final piece that brought them to an elite level. And I think that's what he can do um, to the Toronto Raptors. I think there's a situation in Toronto, it's kind of similar to Gonzaga, where they've already got an experienced guard that could play sure. next to him. Um, and that's what Gonzaga had with Andrew Nemhard, who had already been in college for two years, played two years in the SEC. And so they kind of, you know, were the one-two tandem, and they're basically both point guards on the court at the same time. So kind of the same situation in Toronto where you can have Jalen Suggs and Fred Van Fleet together. I think that's a perfect situation for him, and it takes a lot of the um, uh, kind of the emphasis, I guess, off of him to be a franchise-altering, changing player. Like if he were to go to Houston or Cleveland or something mm-hmm. like that, He'd be required to probably do so much more as opposed to mm-hmm. going to Toronto where he'd probably be asked to do a little bit less. And I think he could excel um, in that role. Yeah, it does feel, and we talked about this with the other prospects, but Suggs, it really kind of stands out. It, it seems like whoever the Raptors take, they're going to be able to ease into the role of eventually probably being projected as the number one guy one day, not right away. And they don't have to right away because they have you know, three guys in their sort of central core, maybe four of Kyle Lowry's back that have the championship still on their resume and are sort of well-established and have made money in the league and are kind of in this different part of their careers where they can kind of take up the mantle. And, you know, the, the sort of similarities, I didn't really think about the contrast between you know, the situation with Gonzaga and what the Raptors situation would be. But that sounds, you know, it's a pretty easy fit. You're always looking for sort of easy fits when you're kind of evaluating guys and trying to jump to um, any sort of opinion and, and those little sort of indicators help. But it all kind of makes sense. The Raptors are a team that are not going to just hand the keys to some guy who comes in. And I think, you know, I had a mailbag question last week from a listener who was concerned maybe about the idea of taking a guy who's a highly touted prospect who, you know, has been the best player on every team he's been on and asking him to play a a lesser role and kind of ease into whatever their long-term position is going to be. And I don't really have a ton of concern about that with the Raptors in general, just because of the way they operate. But it seems like Suggs in particular feels like a guy who's going to absolutely 
you know, not, you know, ruffle feathers if he's not the number one option from day one and he'll be able to slide in to guys who know how to win and know how to get paid and all that stuff. And it feels like it'd be pretty seamless. Like it, that, that sounds pretty great to me. <laughs> I'm all on board for that. In terms of on the court, Stephen, this year, you know, there, there's a lot to like of, about what Suggs did, you know, even with a bit of a suspect three point shot, just 33.7% from deep, you know, he finished shooting nearly 59% on twos. He had a true shooting percentage, just under 60 on a 25% usage, which is not easy to do. Um, maybe it's defense. I'm not sure that kind of stands out the most. He averaged two steals a game too. Is there something that stands out in particular in terms of on court stuff? That was like the thing that popped the most to you. The thing that was like, Oh, that skill is the thing that gets me the most excited about Jalen Suggs. Uh, especially at the next level, it's his ability to play in open space. Like he is right. unbelievable in transition. I, I think he's the best transition player in this draft, may, even better than Cade Cunningham. Um, and I think overall, kind of going back to your um, uh, kind of mini rant that you just had, but Jalen Suggs to me has the highest floor of any of these prospects, maybe sure. besides Cade Cunningham. He may not have the highest ceiling, though ceiling is pretty high. You know, Mobley and Green and maybe Kaminga, you know, some people could argue that they have higher ceilings. But Jalen Suggs is the guy out of that group who's going to come in regardless of what team he goes to, and he's going to uh, excel right away. Like, he is ready to play Mm -hmm. now. Um, So I think he's got the highest floor, and I think one of the reasons is his ability to play in transition. He's also a little bit older. Um, Sure. I think he was – He's basically 20 years old when he entered campus. He played most of the freshman year. I think he was 20, as opposed to a lot of these guys came in freshman year, 18, 19 years old. So he's a little bit older, a little bit more mature. Um, like I said, he's a team player, but his ability to play in transition, play in open space, play off of ball screens, um, I think that is what excites a lot of people at the next level. Like you said, um, defensively, he's got a lot of steals. He's really, really active with his hands. He'll gamble a little bit, but I think in the mm-hmm. NBA, you know, players tend to gamble and you can take whatever you can get these days in the NBA when it comes to individual defense. Um, but he's really, really quick laterally, which is great. The one thing that you did mention is his three point shot. Uh, that's probably his one weakness. But in terms of strengths and what you should be excited about right away is his ability to play in transition, in open space. And in the NBA, there's even more open space than there is in college. Um, and Gonzaga mm-hmm. kind of runs this system where they try to create as much open space as possible. Um, it's it's very a combination of NBA style and European style. So he's kind of used to playing in ball screens and that kind of system already. So it's kind of a natural transition to the NBA. So any team that's going to get him is going to be very, very excited because of that respect. Yeah, that's a good point. And I mean, when the Raptors were in their heyday before the hell season uh, brought them down this past year in Tampa Bay, sapped all of their identity away. That was the whole thing with the Raptors was, you know, their defense is it's gamble heavy that that's a thing they endorse. It's a thing they like guys to do because they trust the personnel to recover and sort of make up the rotations on the back end. And they turn those turnovers and misses into a devastating transition attack. They were pretty bad this year. I think they were one of the bottom two uh, transition offenses this season in terms of just, they had a ton of possessions in terms of overall efficiency. It was just not there. They couldn't finish those things off because a lot of the time Stanley Johnson was kicking the ball off his foot uh, at the end of those transition opportunities. And if you kind of get a guy in there who can sort of run the break and and get out and force steals, things like that, it does kind of fit into what the Raptors tend to like to do when they're kind of firing at their peak, at least in the Nick Nurse era. 
So that is pretty exciting to me as well. I want to dig more into some of the strengths and, uh, you know, qualities of Jalen Suggs' game and a little bit more into the fit with the Raptors in just one second here. But first, I want to tell you about Michelob Ultra and to bring you this week's Michelob Ultra moment of the week. And hey, we're talking about Jalen Suggs. We're talking about joy. We're talking about happiness. We're talking about all those fuzzy, warm feelings. Why not? Let's just make this week's ultra moment. It's not from this week. It's from months ago. But let's take the half-court shot in the tournament, and let's make that the ultra moment of the week. Steven, I'm sure you quite enjoyed that shot, no? Yeah, I was going crazy. My wife was out of town that weekend. I was by myself. It was just me and the dog. The dog was like, what is wrong with you? Oh, yeah. that's uh, My favorite thing is watching sports like a maniac while the uh, the, the, the lady friend is out of town. It's the, it's the best. Uh, and, and what also is the best is Michelob Ultra, of course. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. Just 2.6 carbs and 95 calories. Joy creates success. And enjoyment isn't the end game. It's the whole game as it was when Jalen Suggs hit that crazy buzzer beater to advance Gonzaga deeper into the NCAA tournament. Uh, and so shout out to Jalen Suggs on the moment of the week from months ago. And shout out to Michelob Ultra for sponsoring the podcast the nba playoffs are right around the corner and locked on nba is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama every monday jackson gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league helping to break down the nba playoffs mark your calendars to listen to locked on nba every monday to be up to date locked on nba available on youtube and wherever you get podcasts Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Before we continue on, just a reminder that our road to the NBA Finals is also brought to you by Michelob Ultra at 2.6 carbs, 95 calories. We can all enjoy the playoff games a little bit more this season. Be sure to listen to all the shows covering the teams in the playoffs, advancing to the finals, whatever it might be. This is coming out later in the week from the time it's recorded. So it's a very good chance that the Bucks or the Suns or both have already made it to the NBA Finals. Maybe the Clippers have pulled a reverse Clippers and come back from down 3-1. Who's to say? Either way, go listen to all the shows covering you on the road to the finals with Michelob Ultra. All right, Stephen, a little bit more on Jalen Suggs and what he brings to the table. Uh, you know, we talked about the transition game, which is excellent. A thing that has been a bit of an issue for the Raptors in the last couple of seasons, ever since Kawhi Leonard left, is the half court offense. They've just not uh, they've not been a very efficient half court team. They have things kind of break down. They've had some flourishes here where usually when they're running a Kyle Lowry, Pascal Siakam pick and roll on very few other occasions where they find some success, but it's been a struggle. And it was particularly so this year when, you know, they were depleted and there were even fewer guys to kind of help out and space for, you know, the, the ball handlers like Siakam and Van Vliet. Jalen Suggs, like you said, excellent transition. What's his sort of effectiveness in the half court? Obviously, the three-point shot, there's going to need to be some improvement there, particularly in terms of pull-ups, if he's ever going to become like a you know a top-of-the-tier elite pick-and-roll operator. But there's some other stuff there, too, though. He's got the, obviously, the crazy athleticism, can break guys down off the bounce. What do you think Jalen Suggs would bring to the Raptors' half-court attack? Because thinking about Jalen Green, for example, the reason he's so appealing is, oh, that's a dude who can create nothing, something out of nothing and score when everything else is not working. Is Jalen Suggs that type of guy? Do you think he can be that type of guy in a couple of years' time? If you watch the uh, national championship game, Gonzaga was very much overwhelmed by kind of the the strength and the athleticism that Baylor had. Jalen mm-hmm. Suggs was the only guy on that court who could create for himself. <laughs> right. And so that can give you kind of a little bit of an answer to your question. I think the answer is yes. Um, he's got a really, really explosive first step. Like I've said, you know, he, 
Gonzaga basically is 98% ball screens in the half court. So he reads those incredibly, incredibly well. He averages six and a half assists per 40 minutes. Um, and he's, you know, fairly low turnover numbers for the most part. Um, you'll get mm-hmm. his turnovers don't come in kind of half court ball screen decision-making things. His turnovers come, um, you know, trying to do too much in the open court right. and transition. Um, sure. Whether it's, you know, trying to make a dumb alley-oop pass or dribbling <laughs> a little bit too much into traffic, that those kinds of things. But in the half court, he's, he's a really, really solid decision-maker. Um, and like I said, Gonzaga's system is built so he's basically got three options off of ball screens, right? He can create for himself, get to the rim, which he does very well, and he finishes at a, at a fairly high clip, 60% plus uh, at the rim. And obviously, you can dump it down to the roller, but he's also got, you know, somebody elevating from the weak side, somebody at the strong side. I mean, he's really good seeing the entire court and making the correct decision. So I think playing in ball screens in a half court is something that, you know, Gonzaga um, prepares their players for really, really well at the next level. And I mm-hmm. think uh, Jalen Suggs is going to do very well, whoever he goes to. Yeah, that's music to my ears, man. After watching uh, Fred Van Vliet, who I adore deeply and is wonderful. and I'm Gonzaga fans don't like Raptors, him. But... Yeah, Gonzaga fans don't <laughs> like that guy. Sorry about that. Um, direct your vitriol towards Ron Baker, would you, Fred? Yeah, Fred, yeah. He didn't do anything. Um, but like after watching five foot eleven Fred Van Vliet shoot poorly from around the rim for the last many, many years... It's kind of nice thinking about a six foot four guard who can kind of get to the basket whenever he wants and finish at the basket whenever he wants, as opposed to, you know, the Fred kind of having to pass out and, you know, get the open threes. That's be that being the way he kind of generates offense via his drives. Having a dude who can just finish sounds pretty nice to me. And that that's been a missing ingredient. And, and I guess it's also the other thing to kind of think about when it comes to the fit with the Raptors is I think the Kyle Lowry of it all is certainly kind of hanging over whoever comes in. There's going to be like increased expectation, probably unfairly, almost certainly unfairly so. But, you know, if Kyle Lowry is on his way out, and I would assume that drafting Jalen Suggs is kind of a signal that maybe he's on his way out, there will be that sort of burden of, hey, like you got to be the next dude here to kind of shepherd on after the nine years, eight years that Kyle Lowry was everything for this team. Do you think Jalen Suggs is kind of built for that as well? Like, do you think the sort of increased expectation, do you think the sort of carrying the mantle for a franchise and kind of picking up the relay baton from a guy like Larry will be something that he's sort of built for? Yeah, I'm sure he's going to relish the opportunity to do that. I mean, he, he at Gonzaga, you know, I mentioned he was the second or third, sometimes even the fourth option in a given game. But if if push came to shove and somebody needed to go get a basket, Jalen Suggs was the guy that they gave the ball to like every single time. And you can see that in the national championship. Like when they absolutely needed something, Jalen Suggs was going to create for himself and and do what he needed to do. Going back to our last point about uh, kind of half court offense. If you want to stat um, in non-transition. So basically half court offense this year, he was 52 for 84 at the rim, which is 62%. And only 14 of those 52 shots, that he made were assisted on, which means he's essentially creating for himself more often than not, which is sure. Unlike the rest of the team, which, you know, 50% plus of their makes at the rim were assisted. So Suggs knows how to create for himself when he has to create for himself. And, you know, a lot of the NBA, as opposed to the college game, a lot more of the NBA is based on um, individual creation. And he's got yeah. a skill set where he can individually create for himself 
Um, he doesn't like Corey Kispert's a little bit different where he is, he is more reliant on spot up shooting. Um, he's not as quick. So he's, he, he relies a little bit more on others to create for him. Um, mm-hmm. At least at the next level, he was able to kind of use his athleticism and strength a little bit at college, but um, talk about Jalen Suggs. He's got the size, he's got the strength, he got the athleticism and he's got the first step quickness to create for himself whenever he needs to create for himself. And I think that's going to translate very well to the next level. Yeah, you're talking me into this a little bit more uh, every single time you talk there, Stephen. Because he's, he's just—he's like... <laughs> a—he's a really good player, man. He really is. Yeah. I, I, he's just—he's a solid. I, prospect rankings are hard, right? A lot of the sure. times you're trying to, um, you know, base what you think a guy is going to become. Like Evan Mobley, you think he's going to become a superstar at some point. You watched him against—I mean, freaking Drew Timmy in the NCAA tournament, <laughs> Timmy dominated him. He really did. Like he was completely ineffective against Gonzaga. Uh, but now he's like, okay, he could be the number two pick in the trap in the NBA draft because he's got potential to be something. Jalen Suggs already is something. And that's sure. why like some of these NBA draft prospects, like Brandon Clark coming out of college. I know this is very Gonzaga heavy, but Brandon Clark coming out of college, he was already a good the basketball player. The CanCon's good. We like the Canadian content, so yes, keep on absolutely. with the Brandon Clark. Carry on. <laughs> um, like, he was a, already a great basketball player, but because he was, you know, 23 years old or whatever it was, he slipped into the, the 20s. It's like that should not have happened. Like, the guys that know how to play basketball and are good right now, maybe they don't have, you know, a superstar ceiling. But I don't think the Toronto Raptors need a franchise-altering, you know, top two unbelievable basketball player to keep their franchise moving forward. I mean, they're a couple years removed mm-hmm. from winning the championship. They still got a core, like they need somebody who's really, really good right now. And I think that guy is Jalen Suggs. Yeah. That's my thing in sort of thinking about, we talked this about, uh, talked about this yesterday when we were talking about Jonathan Kaminga with Dakota Schmidt and the sort of the timeline thing being more of a factor for the Raptors than it is for other typical lottery teams where they already have guys who are on their second deals and, do they want to get someone who's ready to hit the ground running now? And if not, does that signal something else about what they think about what their core is going to be two, three years from now? And I think if you are just trying to hit the ground running, Suggs seems like the pick. I mean, Jalen Green has all the upside in the world. First of all, he might not be there, so there might not be a decision here. And the nice thing is that the Raptors won't have to make the decision, it seems, between the two Jalens. There'll just be one there for them, and they could take him, uh, unless Mobley falls there, in which case that sounds fun too, unless Drew Timmy gets drafted by the Boston Celtics, which that sounds like a Celtics-ass pick to me. Um, But, uh, you know, in terms of the readiness to just kind of insert the dude in the lineup and say all right run with it and see what you can do Suggs does seem like the guy and my biggest concern and the reason I've kind of compared the Jalen's that it's really easy to do they're both you know two guards or you know lead guards who can have the ball in their hands I'm not sure if we needed to give the distinction of point guard necessarily but if you compare the two you know the big concern is you know, Jalen Green has that shot creation that is probably unmatched in the draft class but if Jalen Suggs can do a close enough approximation to that level of shot creation, all the other stuff seems to really just kind of fit into a, what the Raptors typically look for and B what the Raptors timeline is at this present moment. And so, yeah, you know, if, if green's there, it means Suggs is not probably. And so I'm happy to take green. Um, but the Suggs pick, if it's like the consolation prize of Suggs falling to four, doesn't sound too bad based on uh, the way we've talked about him so far. I do want to go into some areas where, you know, 
things can be improved and the growth areas and things like that for Jalen Suggs in his game. We'll get to that to close up the show in just a second here. But first, I want to tell everybody about our friends over at rockauto.com who are saving you money when you go to the mechanic. I am a car dummy. I don't know what things are supposed to cost. I just go and the mechanic says, hey, pay this much. And I say, okay, sir. And then I pay way more money than I should because at rockauto.com, you're saving 30, 50, 70, even more off of what you should be paying for your car parts. Just go to rockauto.com if you're in need of a part. They've been serving auto parts customers for 20 years, and they have reliably low prices for every customer, whether you're a pro or a do-it-yourselfer. And they have everything you might need from brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, even new carpets. They've got the important stuff and the aesthetic stuff all there for you. Go explore their easy-to-use website today and find the solution to your auto parts needs because guess what? Those prices are going to be lower than your mechanic will be, and they have more selection for you as well. Who doesn't want more selection? Hell yeah. Go to rockauto.com right now. See all the parts available for your car or truck right locked on in their How Did You Hear About Us box, so they know that we sent you as well. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the car parts you'll ever need at rockauto.com. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, just a reminder that tomorrow's episode of the podcast on Friday, I'll be joined by Cindy Robinson of Locked On Pac-12 as we're going to talk all about Evan Mobley to round out the week. Apologies for getting the order of the episodes messed up. It's been a strange week of pre-recording before going away in the back part of the week, so uh, my apologies there. But we're still talking Jalen Suggs, and we'll continue on here and take a look at some of the things that need some work when it comes to Jalen Suggs' game. No 20-year-old is a complete prospect, and uh, that applies to Jalen Suggs as well, I'm sure. Steven, if you're looking at things of the, Jalen, of the Jalen Suggs experience that maybe need a little bit of touching up, a little fine-tuning, uh, maybe a lot of fine-tuning, where do you look in terms of growth areas for him and say that's the most important thing if he's going to reach his potential? It's 100% consistency when it comes to shooting the basketball. Um, right. he, had, he had a game early in the season where he was 7 for 10 from deep against Iowa. He looked like the greatest shooter to ever live. Uh, and then he went on a stretch during like the middle of the season where he couldn't hit anything. And so, and then by the end of the year, like uh, in the WCC championship against BYU, he was mired in this just long, long slump. And then all of a sudden he hit the two biggest threes of the game to give them a WCC championship victory. So number one, I think that speaks to his ability to hit clutch shots and, you know, rise to the moment, which he's always done throughout his high school and college career. Um, but B, he's got to get more consistent when it comes to jump shooting. And that's not just three-point mm-hmm. shooting, uh, but it's also, I think we've talked about this, and you talked about it a little bit with Jalen Green. Jalen Green is a better shot creator when it comes to, you know, pull-up threes or, you know, hitting threes off the dribble, mid-range shots, all that kind of stuff that sure. Jalen Suggs is. If Suggs can get to, I don't know, 80% of that level that Jalen Green is at, you know, he's going to be you know, his ceiling rises a little bit more. Sure. Um, sure. So yeah, that, that, that would be the thing that if you're going to have any pause, it's okay. Can he be a little bit more consistent shooting the basketball from deep? I mean, he shot 34% on the season, which is not awful by any stretch. Um, mm-hmm. But you want to see that, you know, into the high thirties, if you can get it into the high thirties. Um, and then the other thing I guess is sometimes it gets, you know, the proverbial, 
hair up the butt where he kind of, you know, gets a little bit too wild with his dribbles. Sure. Um, but for the most part, uh, I mean, I've mentioned this before already, but for the most part, he's a really good decision maker when it comes to making the right passes. It's just sometimes he does a little bit too much for himself. Um, uh, and in transition where he tries to force, you know, one on four, as opposed to situations where he, he's much better, obviously three on two. So if it's one sure. on four, you know, you can bring it out. You don't have to, you know, force stuff too much. So I guess those would be the two things, but I think more than anything else, it's, it's definitely a shooting. Yeah. And so I'm curious to dig into the shooting a little bit more in terms of like his shot distribution, you know, is it more of a, was it more of a pull-up thing for him this year? Is he a spot up guy? Is there a significant difference in the way that he approaches both of those situations? Does he excel in one, not so much in the other, or is it kind of just all encompassing the three point shooting just isn't quite there? That's a good question because he actually seemed much better this year um, taking like either step backs or just one dribble, you know, take one dribble off a screen and shoot it like that um, as opposed to catch and shoot, which it seemed like he struggled with, which it seems for most guys is the opposite. Uh, You're a much Mm -hmm. better catch and shoot guy than you would be dribbling off the bounce. He's got a a really, really good step back three. Like I feel like his step back three is the most successful that he had consistently throughout the season. Um, But the rest of it was, you know, kind of inconsistent, but his form looks great. So it's not like it's a, it's a form issue. Maybe it's, you know, his release point could be a little bit more consistent or his feet, you know, could be a little bit more set, whatever the issue is. Um, but I, I, his step back is good. And the other stuff has been inconsistent throughout his one year of college at the high school level. It was kind of the same way. I mean, there's full games of him uh, on YouTube. still. if you want to go back and watch him play from two years ago at Minnehaha Academy mm-hmm. in Minnesota, and it's kind of the same situation where he was an unbelievable step back shooter. But then when he is ready to just step in and shoot the ball and kind of a catch and shoot, it's, you know, 32% or something like that, which is really, really sure. strange. Um, cause yeah. like I said, it's kind of the opposite from most athletes. Um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of what I would say about the shooting. The distribution is, you know, fairly even on what he shot. Uh, it's just kind of the backwards, I guess you could say on, on what he excelled at more than the other spots. Yeah. And I mean, the three point shooting, honestly, of all the things that could be worked on with the Raptors, it concerns me probably the least. I mean, they took Pascal Siakam, and within three years, he was taking pull-up off the bounce threes and just, like, bombing them in the eyes of different defenders in his all-NBA season. You had Norm Powell, who came in as a very, very uneven shooter, and by the time he was gone, he was, like, three years in a row of exactly 40% three-point shooting, like a metronome. And so, you know, OG Ananobi as well. It wasn't, like, heralded as an amazing shooter coming out, and now he's, like, a 38 39 40% guy. They seem to be able to coach that into guys, and obviously, you know, those are the success stories. There are some failures as well along the way where it doesn't quite work out, but that is, you know, we even saw it with Chris Boucher this year shooting like 43% for most of the season before tailing off near the end. It feels like a thing they're able to coach up, and there's a bit of a consistent track record for it, and if there's already the baseline of his off-the-bounce threes are kind of all right, and it's the catch-and-shoot that needs to be improved— that's encouraging. Yes, the catch and shoot will probably be where he gets most of his threes in the first season with the Raptors if he does land there because you've got Fred and Pascal kind of running the show and he often, I think, will probably work in an off-ball sort of secondary you know, attacker type role and maybe sort of assume the Norman Powell role that he had assumed by the time he was traded. That's totally a possibility. But 
if it's just the three-point shooting that's the big sort of thing that oh that needs fixing that feels fixable to me especially considering what the Raptors have done um I want to ask you about the defense a little bit. You know, sometimes you'll see guys come out of college and it's like, oh, those big, sexy defensive numbers, the the big steal numbers, things like that. This was kind of a thing with Malachi Flynn last year when the Raptors took him because he won the defensive player of the year in the, I want to say the Mountain West. I can't recall the conference that San Diego yeah. State's in because I'm yeah. not a college basketball person, but I believe that's correct. Yeah, yeah, perfect. So he won the the defensive player of the year, mostly off of like huge steal numbers. And the question was, okay, is he going to be strong enough to actually play like NBA defense and man up on dudes? Is he, you know, being lucked out by the fact that there's lots of zones and things like that? It's a little bit easier to exist as, as a defender in college. It seemed like Flynn kind of picked it up pretty quickly. You know, maybe he's not super strong, but he's great at jumping passing lanes, things like that. With Suggs, you know, do you think the defense that you've talked about, can that translate? Can he be a guy who's an on-ball defender of, you know, a high-leverage, you know, playmakers, things like that? Or is that something that is a little bit more sort of, all right, wait and see how it translates to the NBA? No, I think it's going to translate well because his, he's a strong, big-bodied player. It, it would give me a yeah. little bit of concern if he were basically Malachi Flynn size, where he's 6'1", yeah. <laughs> 180, as opposed to 6'4", 210. Um, yeah. But according to all the advanced metrics, I mean, Jalen Suggs had the best defensive rating of anybody on Gonzaga last year, and they had some pretty decent defenders. Um, so I, I don't really have any concerns because his lateral quickness is at a really high level. He's got, you know, that really strong frame. He's a little bit older already, like I've mentioned, um, and he's really, really active with his hands. So I, I really don't think that that is going to be a huge issue. There's always a growing pain here and there when you're translating to the next level, whether it's high school to college or college to the NBA, whatever it is, there's going to be at least some, um, you know, a little bit of uh, transition there. But Jalen Suggs has also played at the international level throughout his entire yeah. career as well. Like he's played for Team USA at the U-17s, the U-19s. He won a gold medal a couple summers ago at the U-19 in the FIBA World Cup. So he's been playing against elite level athletes his entire life. Obviously, he's mm -hmm. not been playing against, you know, full-time NBA athletes forever. Um, so like I said, it's going to be a little bit of a transition there, but he's been playing against high-level athletes his entire career. Um, so I don't think the the defensive side is going to be a huge concern coming into the NBA, to be honest. Sure, sure. I, I, uh, I'm i pretty intrigued, man. He's, uh, he's an exciting dude, and I think the fit is really easy. And I think of all the guys, it's sort of been talked about even before, you know, chatting things over with you, but um, you know, there's the sense that it's like a really, really easy culture fit as well with the Raptors and the way they kind of do things and the way Suggs does things as well. So I'm excited, man. And I think this is a good reminder that on draft night, if you are a person who's got your feet entrenched as to, I need this guy on the Raptors or I'm going to be disappointed, much like in 2011 when I was like, I need Brandon Knight and I need Brandon Knight and Jonas Valanciunas is a disappointment. Uh, if you're going to be like that, it's probably not the draft to do that in because uh, the top four guys, someone good is going to fall to the Raptors. And if it's Jalen Suggs, it's a guy who figures to fit pretty damn well from day one, which is quite exciting. If I can uh, give a quick Steven, story, quick story real yeah, quick, going, go off, going off of that. Yes, please. I grew up a Golden State Warriors fan in the Steph Curry draft. I was very, very uh -huh. upset that they drafted Steph Curry over Jordan Hill. And that was the Hell worst, yeah. <laughs> worst mistake I think I've ever made in determining prospects in my life. And from that point on, I said, you know what? I know nothing. Yep. Yep. It's uh, it's always good to just assume you know nothing and be happy with whatever the results are. Absolutely. When they take place. 
Yeah. Uh, Steven, thank you so much. You do know something. You know lots about Jalen Suggs and Gonzaga basketball, and I'm very appreciative of your time, and uh, thank you for lending your knowledge and expertise to this Jalen Suggs conversation. Anything you would like to promote for the people out there? Locked on Zags, daily podcast about the Gonzaga Bulldogs. If you follow me on Twitter, at SCargo, that's at S-K-A-R-R-G-0. If you're interested I just got in- that. Escargo, you're Jay, Every time I say it, people are like, "Oh, that's what that means." Yes, Escargo. Uh, if you check out my pinned tweet, if you're interested in Gonzaga and the X's and O's of how good their offense was this season, because it was at a historic level, nobody has ever shot a better two point percentage in the history of college basketball than Gonzaga this year. Um, I'm a high school basketball coach, so I broke down kind of their X's and O's. If you're interested in that, you can check it out my pinned tweet. Yeah, I highly recommend if you are looking to read up on Gonzaga and Jalen Suggs, uh, go subscribe to Steven's Substack and read all about it. It's uh, you, you won't be upset, I'm sure. Uh, Steven, thanks so much, man. This was lovely, and uh, we'll talk to you after the Raptors take Suggs fourth overall, and we can dig into him a little bit more if you'd like. Uh, <laughs> you can uh, find me on Twitter, of course, at Woodley Sean. You can subscribe to Rate Review This Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. It's always appreciated when you support the show. Go support Locked On Zags as well. And and get that sweet, sweet Gonzaga Bulldogs info into your uh, ears every day. I guess three times a week right now until they go back daily. But um, yeah, thanks so much for tuning in. We'll be back on Friday to talk about Evan Mobley. Till then, have a good one. We'll talk to you then. Bye-bye. Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.